Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. Friend greeting, beer and whiskey drinking, college football faves. Welcome back to A Bowl Full of Chips, the college football podcast that gives you insight and info, news and notes, and a sprinkling of humor in life. I am Chappie, and sadly, I am not joined by my co-host, Bip, because some work and life details are making him a little busy right now, but he sends his love, he promises to be back, and he hopes I won't screw it up. But I think I'll do a pretty damn good job if I do say so myself. So again... You made the right choice by tuning into Bowl Full of Chips, the national podcast with a local flavor that brings football closer. And while I'm going to give you your weekly dose of college football medicine, I'm going to politely ask that you help us out by sharing, subscribing, and continuing to make a Bowl Full of Chips the hottest growing national podcast, college football podcast on the market. Consider us the underdogs that are nipping at the heels of the Power Five podcasts. Please text, tweet, or email our link and share with all those you know who love college football like you do. We also encourage you to interact with us on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit, and he is at BFC BIP. You can also send emails to bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. Today is sort of a mini cast where we'll try to bring you the news and notes from the week and keep you in tune or remind you of what happened off the field and go a little deeper and provide insight as to what we see as really going on or what it all means for the teams you love, and also the teams you'll be facing this season. So let's start with some of the bigger stuff. Over in the Big Ten, they have a new commissioner. Replacing longtime Big Ten commissioner Jim Delaney is Kevin Warren. Now, Kevin is the first African-American commissioner in any Power Five conference, which is a pretty big accomplishment and certainly something that he's very proud of. He hails from Arizona. He got his MBA from Arizona State University as a Sun Devil. And then he went out to South Bend and got his law degree from Notre Dame. So he does have a background in law. And previously, he spent the last 14 years working in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings. But he also spent time with the St. Louis Rams and, unfortunately for him, the Detroit Lions. And I say that with... uh, you know, a heavy heart because being from Michigan, I am a Lions fan and we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Um, One of the things that's mentioned about Kevin Warren is he is a negotiator and he really impressed and wowed a lot of people with his press conference um, just at the ideas that he had and and his uh, take on hitting the ground running. And because he's a negotiator, because he's got kind of that law and that legal background, um, his angle is going to try to continue to brand the Big Ten to be just as big, if not bigger, eventually than the SEC. And that's what excites a lot of people. Now, it surprised some people because the front runner for this position seemed to be Northwestern's athletic director, Jim Phillips. But I can speak for all us Wildcat fans that we are very, very happy that he is staying in Evanston. It would have been a great position for him, and certainly he would be absolutely qualified and would have done an an outstanding job. But selfishly, 
us in Evanston or us who have our hearts in Evanston are certainly glad he's still there. So congratulations to you, Kevin Warren, and good luck in the new position. And we hope that you continue to make the Big Ten bigger, better, and uh, one of the best brands in college football. Moving on to the next part, the Big 12 uh, saw their revenue sharing up about $2.5 million per school this past season, with each school making approximately $38.8 million. Now, certainly it doesn't compare to some of the other conferences like the Big Ten and like the SEC, who the SEC obviously is married to a contract with ESPN, um, the biggest sports network in college football. And the Big Ten has a, a pretty healthy competitive, competitive uh, TV market with the Big Ten network, certainly brought a lot of um, increased revenue for all those 14 teams. Um, but the Big 12 is getting there. And, and it's always good to see that your bottom line is growing and um, you know, you're, you're more and more in the black. So they got a big help from Oklahoma making the college football playoff last year. And of course, the University of Texas playing in the Sugar Bowl. So two teams in the year's, New Year's Six Bowls brought in about, um, you know, I can't remember the figure, but uh, I want to say an extra $6 million for each team uh, just from those two t schools being in those bowls. So that certainly was going to make that better. And they're making the climb, and, and Bip and I have talked about the Big 12 is set to have one of its better flock of teams this year, and things could continue to improve. But looking forward, if they want to continue to increase that revenue, they have got to expand. So they're only at 10 teams right now. And for a Power 5 conference, obviously, that's the lowest amount of teams. And the more teams you have in there, the more markets you can tap into, that then leads to a potential Big 12 TV network somewhere, somehow. Um so we talked about, you know, potential additions to the Big 12. I think Houston makes sense. I think SMU makes sense. There's a couple teams you could go out to and maybe um, the the AAC market. Um, you know, potentially there's the idea of bringing in BYU, uh, who's currently an independent. So those are all uh, possibilities. I still am one to say that they should try to do what they can to bring um, Texas A&M and maybe even Arkansas back into that conference uh, to join with some of those former Southwest Conference foes. I mean, you look at those two schools, both play in the SEC West. I think from a competitive standpoint, that's going to certainly be a, a, uh, a better chance for the Razorbacks and the Aggies to compete. Obviously, the SEC money is good, but, you know, a healthy bottom line is not the be-all, end-all because ultimately what puts butts in the seats, which is what every athletic director wants to do, is the on-field product and fan bases are not happy with, you know, going to a mediocre bowl or not even making a bowl because you're right from the get-go uh, looking at five or six teams that you can almost pencil in a loss if you're a realistic fan. So those are two options as well. I think that if the Big 12 can at least get to 12 teams, like their moniker suggests, that's going to be a step in the right direction. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Kirby Hokut um, really starts to get aggressive and goes after some of those teams and some of those markets. Moving on to the next story, a local flavor here out of the state of Michigan, University of Michigan running back Chris Evans has been suspended for the 2019 season due to academic issues. Now, Michigan fans knew that he was out for the spring and he was temporarily off the team to fix some of those academic issues, but it looks as though those issues were not resolved by the end of the semester. And so heading into the summer and into the fall, it's, it's not going to be uh, that he's going to be eligible. And so Jim Harbaugh made a comment that um, he was suspended by the university. And this is not the football program making this decision. But, of course, they're complying with 
the, the university standards. So he will not be there with the team for the 2019 season. So what does the running back room look like? Well, four-star recruit Zach Charbonnet from Arizona looks to be a really legit running back. He stands about six foot, um, 220, 230 pounds. Um, he's a load. He's, he's a very good athlete. But the concern is that he missed the spring recovering from a, a knee procedure. So it was really to clear some of the uh, the, the junk that was in his knee. Um, I, I believe, you know, uh, something that he suffered in high school. He claims that everything's fine. It's really just a maintenance procedure. And all signs point to the fact that he'll be able to work out in the summer and he'll be a full go in the fall. However, Anytime you have a knee injury, that's always a big concern because if you have one knee injury, that makes it more likely that you're going to suffer another knee injury. Um, and if he can't go or if there's a position where um, he's not able to be in that lineup, um, Christian Turner and former walk-on True Wilson, they're pretty good, but are they going to be enough without Charbonnet? Now, fortunately for the Wolverines, they'll, they'll be running an up-tempo spread attack under new offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. So a heavy run game, which they're used to in Michigan tradition, is not as much of an integral part of that offense as it was in the past. But still, a, a solid run game is is something that you can hang your hat on, and it's going to be the difference maker, especially when they line up against the Buckeyes in Ann Arbor in that November matchup. So something interesting to keep an eye out for Michigan. How will that affect them, and, and how good is Charbonnet going to be? Moving on, TCU going down to Fort Worth. They released their depth chart post-spring, and they won't name a starter yet at quarterback, which is really what everyone in the Big 12 is looking for, and that's going to be a, a pretty integral part of how they fare heading into 2019. Now, they have any one of four quarterbacks that are listed, so they essentially have four starters listed with the the big or in between each one. So in order, according to their depth chart, it goes Alex Delton, who transferred from Kansas State, Justin Rogers, who's a very highly touted redshirt freshman, um, Michael Collins, who started a majority of games last season, and he transferred from Pitt the year before, or Ohio State transfer Matthew Baldwin. So it could be any one of those four guys. My money is on Justin Rogers to get the start. He's the one that's got the highest ceiling. He's the one that coaches seem to be the most uh, intrigued by. But then there's also four-star incoming freshman Max Dugan, who actually was in there for the spring, uh, the Iowa Gatorade Player of the Year in that state. So really, they've got five quarterbacks. In my opinion, this is too much in this quarterback room. I see the attraction of Fort Worth and the TCU program, and Gary Patterson is certainly one of the best coaches, not just in that conference, but nationally. The things that he's done to turn that TCU program into a national contender have been remarkable. But realistically, only two guys are going to get the reps. Because if you get down to a third guy, that's probably going to mean problems with the team's success. So you have to wonder, are any of these guys going to put themselves in the transfer portal maybe once the fall gets going and, and look elsewhere? I mean, five talented quarterbacks, that's, that's too many cooks in the kitchen, you have to believe, for TCU. So I'm very intrigued to see where they come out of that. Moving on to the next part, Brew McCoy, the saga. All I can say is, what the hell? Okay. He was courted by both Texas and USC. He originally commits to USC on NBC during the Under Armour All-America game. He enrolls early and starts classes out in L.A. Then uh, incoming offensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury, who was let go by Texas Tech and was a big uh, wave-making hire as the offensive playmaker and play caller for the Trojans, he leaves and takes the Arizona Cardinals uh, job out in the NFL. 
Shortly after, McCoy then enters his name into the transfer portal and goes to Texas, uh, the University of Texas, and spends the spring with them, going through all the practices, though his eligibility was still uncertain. So he went through spring camp, but never got a decision from the NCAA whether he would be eligible to play in 2019, even though it seems like the trend that we're seeing is that um, the NCAA is, is being pretty liberal with how they grant eligibility to players, especially players with big uh, names and big following like McCoy has. Um, then a week ago, he announces that he's going to leave UT and return home to USC, saying it was a personal matter. But in my opinion, that's really what you'd say to easily leave on, quote, your terms. So, I mean, anybody can blanket sweep and say it's a personal matter. I mean, personal matter could mean this is what my heart, this is what my head told me to do. Personal matter could mean that there's family issues going on. Personal matter could mean that there's finances. And, you know, we're going to respect his his privacy and, and that's his decision. But it certainly puts both schools in a little bit of a bind, especially University of Texas. And this is where this has got to be a podcast topic that we're going to hit on in the future is how do we sharpen up and how do we fine tune the transfer portal process? There has to be deadline. There has to be guidelines. And I think that that's the first item on the agenda for the NCAA as they get into their meetings uh, in the late fall and in the off season is we've got to come up with a, a boxed structure and, and let there be a deadline. And, you know, just off the cuff, my thoughts are, you make the transfer portal open the Monday at noon following the national championship game. And it's open. You can put your name in there um, and you can be in there for, let's say, the first two months. So by the end of February, early March, whether teams have started their spring camp or not, you can put your name into the portal and then you have to basically go somewhere else. If you don't, you can stay in the portal, but you automatically lose your eligibility for wherever you may land. So if you make a decision in May, let's say, and you enroll in classes there, because you have missed that window or that deadline, you have forfeited automatically your eligibility to, to transfer. And of course, that's only assuming that you qualify for immediate eligibility. So there wouldn't be the opportunity for a waiver, regardless of finances, regardless of medical conditions and whatnot. You automatically, if you miss that two-month window deadline, um, you basically... By putting your name in the transfer portal, you sign some sort of documentation saying that I agree and I understand that if I don't commit somewhere um, or if I don't decommit and take myself out of the portal, then I forfeit my eligibility for the following season. There's just got to be some uh, a lot more clarity and things have to be a lot more black and white when it comes to this tra transfer portal business. In a similar story, but for different reasons, former Florida commit cornerback Chris Steele has decided to join USC in the fall. So things are really turning up for the Trojans in terms of uh, player personnel coming in from the transfer portal. Now, his story uh, we documented on a previous podcast. Originally, he intended to go to Oregon after um, decommitting from the University of Florida. And, and again, to recap, the reason why was he was uncomfortable with his rooming situation with uh, former Florida quarterback Jalen Jones, who was an early freshman enrollee, got us into some hot water with um, – you know, abuse allegations with a, uh, a female. And so allegedly Steele went to the coaching staff and said, I'm not comfortable with my roommate. I'd like to be moved out of there. And they basically said, we're close enough to the summer season. Let's just get through the spring. Um, and then once the semester's over, we'll reconfigure it. Well, it, it apparently struck some wrong nerves and Steele said, I, I can't be here. I don't like what's going on. And I don't like the way that I'm kind of being uh, shelved by the coaching staff, and he decided to decommit from Florida. 
So he said originally he was intended to go to Oregon, which is one of the schools that he was picking between when he also announced his uh, designation on the NBC production during the Under Armour All-Star game, high school All-Star game. And his reason for going to Oregon or, or wanting to pursue Oregon was he had a close relationship with cornerback coach Dante Williams out in Eugene. And he said it was like no other. And um, he also liked USC because, or, or he also really shied away from USC because the Trojans didn't have a scholarship available at that time. But shortly after his mother was recently laid off from her job and South Carolina informed his father, Norm, that a scholarship had become available. So given those two situations and conditions, um, he was being offered a scholarship on the spot and he decided to go back home because he is from California, said he wanted to be close, especially since his parents now, uh, due to finances, according to him, could not make the, the travel to Oregon to go to some of his games. Um, so it was it was more of a, uh, a home situation. There's no word on his eligibility yet, but it seems as though he'll likely be granted a waiver. That's my speculation. That's my assumption because of Florida's mishandling of his rooming situation. So you have to think that the NCAA is going to side with Steele because of the fact that the the staff at the University of Florida allegedly did not handle things the right way. And you certainly don't want to, um, you know, punish a guy for something that was beyond his control. A couple other things, uh, you know, one last thing. We've we talked about the passing of former coach Dick Tomey, who coached at both University of Hawaii and San Jose State. Hawaii was earlier in his career, and San Jose State was his final stop. Um, had success at, at both schools. So those two schools, when they play out in the Mountain West, they're going to play for the Dick Tomey Trophy, which is kind of a cool way to honor such a, a legendary coach. And again, um, our thoughts and best wishes to the Tomey family in, in the passing of you know, their, their family member and, and certainly going to be missed. And then finally on our mini cast here, as is customary in a bowl full of chips, we want to talk transfer portal more than what we already have. And that's been a heated uh, topic. That's just gotten hot once again, much like much of the country's temperatures recently. And it's brought a deluge of movement and potential twists and wrinkles into the world of preseason prognosticators like BIP and myself. So we're going to start with some of the bigger names. West Virginia has seen their share of movement more than anybody this week, starting with uh, all Big 12 starting free safety Keith Robinson, who leaves West Virginia, puts himself in the transfer portal. Um, Last season, as a sophomore, he had 77 total tackles, two tackles for loss. He picked off four passes um, and defended four additional ones. He had a fumble recovery and a fumble return or a fumble uh, forced fumble. So certainly a big loss in the secondary there. His starting safety mate, Derek Pitts, has also put his name in the transfer portal. Now, he was slated to start at strong safety this year. He was kind of one of their fifth or sixth defensive backs a year ago. Um, But playing cornerback or playing that nickel position as a sophomore last year, he had 27 total tackles, but five tackles for loss, kind of coming up playing near the line of scrimmage. He picked off one pass and also forced a fumble and defended four other passes. So between the two of them, uh, some pretty good stats. Another safety from West Virginia that put his name in the portal is sophomore EJ Brown. So three safeties or three defensive backs that are really um, in the top, uh, you know, six or seven that we're going to be on that depth chart coming into this year. That's something that they uh, are going to miss a little bit. So what does this mean? You know, we also saw the loss of Marcus Sims, who was coming back as one of their top receivers from this year. So I think this signifies that there's a serious culture change going on in Morgantown. 
Dana Holgerson always, to me, seemed a little bit of a loose and kind of a maverick type coach when compared to other college football coaches. And new coach Neil Brown, who comes in from Troy, has been more of a straight-laced and rigid type coach. Now, his record looks pretty good, 35-16 and 16 at Troy as a head coach, including winning the uh, Sunbelt Coach of the Year honors in 2017 that went along with the Sunbelt Championship for the Troy Tro- Trojans. He's a devout Christian and a guy who prides himself on principles and character. And my guess is that some of the players he's come into maybe don't jive with his vision and uh, don't mesh with what he feels that a football player should be or the part of the team and what a team should look like. So um, that could be good things in the future. Not to say that things were bad in Morgantown. They had a pretty successful season last year, and Dana Holgerson proved to be a successful football coach. But as most people know, culture is such a big part. And he, uh, Neil Brown clearly created a positive culture out at Troy and looking to do the same for West Virginia. Um, speaking of Troy, they have had some significant movements since uh, Neil Brown has left. So this week, safety Tyler Murray from Troy has put his name into the transfer portal. Now, he's the third significant defender who has departed from uh, that school in Alabama. He joins fellow linebacker Tron Folsom and also defensive back and return specialist Marcus Jones. Now, Murray last year as a sophomore had 48 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, three interceptions. He also defended five passes and recovered two fumbles while forcing another. So um, some pretty big statistical departure from that Troy defense. And it'll be interesting to see how new coach Chip Lindsey deals with some of that. They also lost their defensive coordinator, Vic Koenig, who followed Brown out to Morgantown. So um, again, when you talk about West Virginia's departures, maybe those are guys that um, didn't really mesh with the, the Vic Caning type defense and what his philosophy is as well. Um, staying out in the state of Virginia, since we're talking about, or, or I'm sorry, in a state that's close to Virginia um, and actually broke off right before the Civil War, right around the Civil War, Virginia Tech, their starting cornerback, Bryce Watts, um, was looked to be a starter uh, this year, again, after starting last year, he's heading into the transfer portal um, and not completely surprised, given the fact that he had a little bit of a rough spring, uh, seemed like his confidence was down a little bit. So perhaps putting himself into that portal to see if maybe a change of scenery is going to improve his status for 2019. Wide receiver Keon Dixon is leaving UConn and putting himself in the portal. Dixon, in the last two years out in stores, had 44 catches for 507 yards and three touchdowns. So um, a pretty reputable contributor, um, even though they had their struggles out there in Rentschler Field. Quarterback Brandon Peters left the University of Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and this week has visited Illinois, Miami of Ohio, and Bowling Green. Now, um, he's from Indiana, so my guess is that if he's narrowed down to three, these three schools, Illinois is probably the best spot for him. One, because they need a quarterback. They lost their apparent starter for 2019, MJ Rivers, who put himself into the portal. Um, And they do have hot incoming freshman Isaiah uh, Juice the Deuce Williams uh, coming in. And many Illinois fans feel that he's going to be a good shot in the arm for the Illini. But Peters is probably the more decorated player. Um, He's a four-star who came from, like I said, the state of Indiana. Um, Interesting, though, that Miami of Ohio had a Michigan transfer last year, Alex Malzone, who went out to Oxford. So you wonder if there's that kind of connection that might bring Peters out to the Mac and um, give him a chance to play and maybe star out in that league. And Chuck Martin has Michigan ties, having coached at at, uh, Grand Valley State University. So 
Uh, maybe there's that connection that could bring him out to uh, the Red Hawks. Bowling Green is interesting as well because they have former Michigan quarterback and former Michigan assistant coach Scott Leffler, who recently was at Boston College and also was a coordinator at Virginia Tech. Um, he's the new head coach out there. And surprising to me, nobody's giving Leffler a chance to win at Bowling Green. Uh, but I think he's a very good offensive mind. And I think that there's maybe something there that uh, people aren't seeing out at Bowling Green. And maybe the Falcons can be improved this year. They certainly have um, a good set of receivers. And so if Peters goes out there, um, he'll have a, a good cast to work with. Um, a few others here. Justin Murphy, an offensive guard, leaves UCLA and goes out to Houston with one year of eligibility remaining. Now, Murphy played in six games for the Bruins, starting the first four last year. And originally he was at Texas Tech. So this will be his third school in the last uh, four or five years. But he's had some knee issues. So you wonder, I'm not sure if he will look to start right away at Houston or if that's just going to give them a little bit more depth. Another guy who's coming to H-Town to play for the Cougars is Texas Tech transfer Gio Pencati. Now, Pencati has two years of eligibility remaining. He's a three-star player who only played in three games over the last two years for the Red Raiders. But again, um, going out to Houston and playing under new head coach Dana Holgerson, um, you know, in that style of offense, you, you can kind of get away with um, being a guy who's who's kind of serviceable. And that's not to knock down Pancotti, but maybe he spends this year kind of learning the ropes. And with a year of eligibility remaining after 2019, perhaps he can work himself into that starting crew. Another guy going out to Houston is Juco All-American Javarius Owens. Now, Interesting here, he originally committed to the University of Minnesota to play for P.J. Fleck, but he's another guy, another one of those Juco guys who has left the Gophers and is rowing the boat somewhere else. So he has three years of eligibility left. Last year as a freshman, he had 92 tackles and three interceptions, which, like I said, earned him junior college All-American honors a season ago. Um, some other big names, and this one is intriguing to me. Isaiah Zuber, a wide receiver and punt returner, is leaving Kansas State to play his final year of eligibility at Mississippi State, joining Joe Moorhead. Now, this kind of changes the dynamic of that Mississippi State team, not, not just because he's a, uh, a credible receiver, but he also gives them uh, some lightning in the return game. So as a receiver last year, Zuber led the Wildcats with 52 catches for 619 yards. That's 11.9 per pop. He scored five touchdowns. Um, and the year before, as a sophomore, he had 51 catches for 10 yards per catch, four touchdowns. In the return game, last year was really his first moment of big-time performance, but he returned 10 punts for a 17.8 yards per return average, which included a touchdown. So I think that he gives them that dynamic playmaker that really could make the Bulldogs just a little bit more competitive out in that SEC West. I still think that they'll be behind you know, the regular killers like Alabama, LSU, and Auburn in that order, but they'll be vying with Ole Miss. Uh, they'll be vying with um, Texas A&M really for that fourth spot, and I think Zuber gives them uh, a better chance, especially with the addition of Tommy Stevens, if he can win that job. But if he doesn't, that means Keteon Thomas, or Thompson, I'm sorry, has done a good job. Or don't sleep on Jaden uh, Maven because uh, he, or he's another guy who um, – you know, comes in with a high billing and really fits more of that Joe Moorhead quarterback mold. Another big name is Landon Dickerson. Now, bigger name because of uh, maybe some ill notoriety, but he goes from Florida State to Alabama. Now, he was slated to be the right tackle, starting right tackle for Florida State this year. 
But look at his track record, though. Um, he started eight games as a true freshman in 2016 uh, before an ACL injury cut his season short. Now, in that season, he made all ACC freshman team. He started four games the next year as a sophomore, but then was cut short due to injury. And then last year as a junior, he started the first two games before he got injured. So this seems to be a negative pattern. Um, a lot of people on Twitter were kind of questioning that move because going to Alabama, they've got a solid offensive line. They have uh, a full stock of four and five star offensive linemen, which Dickerson, I can't remember what type of star billing he had, but I, I can't imagine that it's higher than four star. And I don't believe that it would be, you know, a talent enough to upseat one of those Alabama starters. So I'm not sure about this one, unless he's hoping to get a ring on his finger in Tuscaloosa and then maybe one on the phone from NFL camps. But again, those knee injuries for the last three years really scare off teams. So um, poor speculation here and negative speculation. But I wonder if he has one more injury, if he might have to just shelve it and then just kind of take solace in being a part of a program that is going to compete for a national championship. Um, few others, outside linebacker Jason Harris goes from Illinois State to UCLA. So in the last, uh, or in his career at Illinois State with the Redbirds, Harris played in 31 games, notching 105 tackles, four and a half sacks, and 13.5 tackles for loss. And uh, that linebacker room is looking better now for UCLA. And we've talked about it on our Pac-12 spring review this year, how stacked and, and how well um, equipped those linebackers are out in Westwood. Another linebacker going into the portal, Georgia uh, uh, redshirt freshman Jaden Hunter leaves and goes to Western Kentucky. Now, Hunter is a four-star recruit, but had some trouble this offseason when he was arrested for some misdemeanor issues, so um, possibly expedited his leave from Athens to go out to Western Kentucky and um, play for new head coach Tyson Helton, who's the son of Clay Helton out at USC. Uh, certainly going to give them a boost if he can keep his, uh, you know, act together and stay out of trouble. Um, pretty good pickup for the the Hilltoppers there. Long safety, or I'm sorry, long snapper Scott Meyer leaves Alabama to go to Vanderbilt. Now he's the second long snapper to use the portal this year, which is a little bit, um, you know, out of the ordinary and unique to think about a long snapper going. But even they want to better their situation. They're people too, and they're certainly a very valuable part of special teams. Just ask my favorite coach, Pat Fitzgerald. Um, there, you know, it all starts with that snap. And if you can't do it, uh, you know, your kicking game is going to have woes, which is exactly what Alabama had last year, not necessarily because of Meyer. So maybe he wanted to avoid Nick Saban's holistic wrath for the kicking game in general. And then the last one here is uh, safety Aaron Monroe leaves Penn State to go to Temple. Now, he was mainly a special teams player, but also had a few tackles at that safety position going out to join um, uh, Rod Carey, who's the new coach at Temple. You know, a pretty good recruit for Penn State and certainly a, a guy who who brings a pretty good pedigree. Anytime you're coming from a Power 5 school and you're going to a, uh, a rough and tough contender like Temple, I think that's going to help the Owls. If not this year, then certainly in the future, as Monroe, I think, has three years of eligibility left. Well, that's a mouthful. So that's your news from this week. And though it's now old, it's news to you and hopefully you're brought up to speed on the relevant workings of the NCAA football world and how it will likely affect the, the landscape, big or small. Please take what you had here and shoot us your questions on Twitter. I, again, am at champion underscore lit and my co-host BIP is at BFC BIP or email us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. 
please feel free to check out our website, which you can find on our Twitter handles, and listen to some of our previous episodes you may have missed or you might want to revisit as you patiently wait in college football passing for the Week Zero kickoffs. And again, the best thanks and praise we can receive is by you sharing and spreading the good word to continue to make a bowl full of chips trending in the right direction. We're building this program, and we don't want any of you to enter the transfer portal via podcast listeners, but you can help us recruit to the program and make it even better. So in honor of my missing co-host and longtime brother, I'm Chappie, and we'll be back with you soon. On our next episode on Bowl Full of Chips, we're going to take a look at the consensus contenders from the college football playoff, according to the national publications, and give you our take on why they could be in and what may be keeping them out. So for a bowl full of chips, we raise our glass, salute you, cheers, and like Sam said on his famous last line from that show, bars closed. See ya!